0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Good evening, everyone. It is good to be with you. And let me just invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John as we continue to make our way through that. Fascinating, fascinating, wonderful, wonderful gospel. And uh, explore the life and ministry of Jesus. I can never get enough of Jesus. Anybody else with me on that? It's just spending all this time with him each and every week. I feel so spoiled as I get to study and prepare. And I'm so excited about what the Lord has given me to share with you this evening. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed that we get to open your word. I pray that we would never take that privilege for granted, Lord. We have access to the word of God. We pray that you would use your word like a fire tonight to burn away the parts of us that are fleshly, Lord. We pray that you would use your word like a surgeon's scalpel to cut away the cancerous areas of compromise in our hearts. We pray that you would use your word like water tonight to refresh our souls. Lord, we pray that you would use your word like a hammer to drive home your character into the bedrock of our being. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to lead us and guide us as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. We pray that you would use your word like manna to feed us and to satisfy our souls, Lord. We thank you for the word of God. It's living, it's active, it's powerful, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And so, Lord, would you use it tonight to divide between the soul and the spirit and the thoughts and the intents of our hearts, Lord? Would you become our teacher, Holy Spirit? We pray and ask these things together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. The title of my message for you this evening is From Faith to Faith. I'm going to set things up with a little story about my grandpa who attends here every weekend. Love my grandpa. He's such a salt of the earth guy, greatest generation guy. Grew up and was born kind of right there uh, around the Depression era and and has seen and experienced so much and served in the Coast Guard during the Second World War and so many things, so many reasons I respect him. But for 32 years, my grandpa worked um, for Pac Bell and then ultimately retired there. But as part of his job, it required him to climb to the top of these big, tall, 40-foot-tall telephone poles, and he would get up there, and he would make repairs and do his job, and, and he told me about the, the equipment that Pac Bell provided for him to get to the top of these poles, and it included these spiked shoes that he would hook into these wooden poles, as well as this leather harness that he would wrap around himself and then around the pole. And the way he would shimmy up the pole is he would throw that belt around and he would lean back into the harness and he would climb up higher with those spiked shoes. Now, now leaning back like that at the top of a 40 foot pole it goes against kind of your natural inclinations, right? It's, it's not what you would naturally tend to want to do. And, and so he was telling me about this one instance where he was about 20 feet off the ground. And he leaned in a little too far, and he find, found himself sliding down that 20-foot pole. He said at the bottom, he was able to walk away, thankfully, miraculously, and he ended up with a lot of splinters. And a valuable lesson. If he wanted to stay up, he needed to lean back and trust the harness with all of his weight. And I was talking to him about that this week, and it got me thinking about faith. And you think about what God wants from us, and it's kind of like that harness. He wants us to lean back into his promises. Now, this goes against the natural grain of how we're wired, doesn't it? I mean, If anything, we would much rather lean on our own understanding of things. We want to lean in and trust in our own experience, what we can see, what we can touch, what we can taste, what we can feel. But God wants us to walk by faith as his children. And he knows our proclivity to want to lean into those other things. And so oftentimes, he will put us or allow us to find ourselves in situations that force us to lean back Why? So that he can grow and mature and develop faith in us. Because for whatever reason, faith is one of those fundamental lessons that God wants his kids to learn down here. It has something to do with what we're going to be doing in in eternity. And so he recognizes this. And what we see in today's story is Jesus taking a man on a journey of faith. You know, there are degrees of faith. And what we're going to see tonight is we're going to see a man start with one level of faith, and Jesus is going to grow his faith into something much more robust, something much more mature. And the thing to note, the thing I want you to recognize as we read through this text is God wants to do the exact same thing with each one of us. You know, the Bible talks about how God's desire is that he wants to take us from glory to glory and from faith to faith. And what that means is whatever level of faith you're walking in, whatever level of glory you're experiencing, God wants to develop your faith. He wants to grow your experience of his glory. Now, how does he do that? Well, he has many methods, but one of his favorite tools For growing our faith is is trials. (laughs) That's not the best news, is it? But as it turns out, the difficulties of life have proven to be the perfect soil to grow and mature faith. So with that as a backdrop, let's go ahead and read our story beginning there in John chapter 4. We'll pick up in verse 43. It says, after the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. And once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live The man took Jesus at his word. Everybody note that phrase. The man took Jesus at his word. Let me say it one more time. The man took Jesus at his word, and he departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, at 1 in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. All right, so we have here the story of a desperate father and a dying son. And so the whole story centers around the relationship between this father and his son. And knowing that to be the case, let me just address my following remarks to all the dads that are here and are in this room. I want to remind each and every one of you of just how important, how vital the role that you play in your kids' lives is. There's this woman. Her name is Meg Meeker. And she's a doctor. And she wrote a book about how Dads can become the hero dad that their kids need. And I want to read a quote to you from her book. She says this, and I quote, There is a misconception that mothers are the center of a child's world, and mothers are vitally important. But too often, we have the idea that fathers are optional, and that often the best thing for them to do is just stay out of the way. They might need to be a breadwinner or to take care of the honey-do list or maybe to discipline the children occasionally. But for the most part, many people assume that it is mom who is and should be center stage. But the fact is that the human family was meant to have mothers and fathers working together. So again, just to drive home this thought, dad, dads, your kids desperately need you. And all the research in this field just drives home and confirms that truth. So how do you do that? Well, when you pray for your kids, when you're present for your kids and when you pass on your faith to them, that's how you become the hero dad that your kids need. And that's who the dad in our story ultimately is going to become. But what I want you to note here as we get started is that's not where he began. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the beginning of the story, you'll find that what sparked his whole journey was a personal crisis. His son was sick. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was at the point of death. Now, as a father, I I don't know that there is an experience that is more debilitating or an experience which makes you feel more helpless than having to watch one of your kids suffer. My oldest son, Benjamin is about to turn 18 in a few months but a long time ago he used to suffer with croup you know what croup is it's this really horrible soupy cough that that just makes it difficult to breathe and most kids grow out of it but my son, Ben, he didn't grow out of it. And, and uh, when he got croup as an older boy, it was really quite a dangerous thing. And, <clears throat> and so one night, he came into our room late, and he was he had the cough, and he had all the telltale signs that he had croup. And so we walked through all of the steps and all of the things that the doctors had told us to try, things like putting him in a room with a hot shower so that he could breathe the steam. And we gave him nebulizers and all the rest. But nothing was working, and so we called his doctor the following morning. And they said, "Okay, let's let's walk through this. Well, yeah, we've done that. We've done that. And they said, "Okay, you need to call 911 because things were getting really bad. And in those moments between when I frantically dialed 911 and when I waited for the ambulance to finally arrive, those were some of the tensest and scariest moments I've ever had to endure as a father. And I'm sitting there on my driveway. It's freezing cold outside. And I'm just watching my son as he's laboring to breathe. Later on, they would tell me that he was breathing through an esophagus that was about the size of a straw. And he was struggling for every breath. And then the paramedics finally arrived. And it was just this feeling of helplessness. There was nothing I could do. And any parent would gladly trade places with their child when they're suffering. And and I imagine that the dad in our story, he was a good dad. And he, he was like that. He felt helpless as he watched his son getting sicker and sicker. Surely he had exhausted all of his resources and all of the tools that were at his disposal. And they were many. As a matter of fact, John tells us there in verse 46 that he, he was a royal official. Yet here we see the limitations of wealth. As a royal official, that either means, A, he was of royal blood and royal descent, or B, he was a part of Herod's royal court. Either way, he had a lot going for him. His position would have given him access to all of the best doctors and all of the finest medicines that his time and his world had to offer. He would have been a powerful man, a connected man, a successful man. And certainly, he wasn't the kind of guy that was used to needing things from other people. But when his son fell sick, this powerful man suddenly realized the limitations of all that he had accumulated. You see, I bring that up because I think oftentimes People erroneously believe that if they just had more money, that all their problems would disappear. I don't know if you caught this or not, but they just sold the winning lottery ticket to what has been dubbed one of the largest mega jackpot lotteries in the history of the world. Was it $1.3 billion? And somebody just bought the winning ticket. Oh, man. It's fun to sit around and think about what you would do with that kind of money, you know? Make sure you tithe, right? <laughs> But anyways, um, we think, you know, if I could just get my hands on money like that, I could do so much good and I wouldn't have any more problems. And money can solve a lot of issues, but it certainly has its limitations, too. The famous actor and comedian Jim Carrey was being interviewed one time and he talked about how money has its limits. And one of the things he said in that interview was, sometimes I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so that they'd see it wasn't the answer to everything. You See, while money can be helpful, it's not the answer to all of life's problems. And the royal official in our story was learning that lesson the hard way. He had wealth. He had status. He had influence. But the one thing his money couldn't buy peace of mind so where do you go when crisis hits well in verse 47 it says when he heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death listen here's the advice we get from this man when crisis hits run to Jesus don't walk Cana was only about 20 miles or so away from Capernaum. And I can picture this guy hopping on the back of his fastest horse and riding at breakneck speed to get where he heard Jesus had last been. And when he pulled up, his arrival would have caused quite a scene. I mean, Galilee wasn't used to or Cana wasn't used to playing host to dignified you know, celebrities and dignitaries, guys of this stature. Imagine a Rolls Royce rolling into a city like Compton and a guy in a Versace suit jumping out of the car. I mean, that's how out of place this guy would have been in a town like Cana. And in this moment, though, it's it's fitting and it's worth pointing out that he didn't care About his image, he didn't care about what anyone else thought or what he looked like or any of that stuff. All he cared about was his boy. And so he runs to Jesus and it says he begged Jesus to return with him. Now, the tense of that word translated beg there. It's written in the perfect tense, which describes an ongoing action. He was begging Jesus repeatedly, please, you've got to come back with me. Please, you've got to come back with me. And the word that is used there to describe his son is a word that denotes intimacy or affection. So you put all that together, and he's just down at Jesus' feet, buried under a cloud of dust, and he's holding on to the Lord, and he's saying, please, my dear son, my precious boy, you've got to come back with me so that he doesn't die. And we, we feel for him, right? Because at the end of the day, every single one of us will eventually find ourselves in a point of crisis, The blue skies in all of our lives will eventually turn dark gray. It's not a matter of if, but when. And when that happens, the question for each of us is, where are you going to run? And I love the example of this royal official because he decided to seek Jesus. Now, he might not have ever went in search of Jesus had he not found himself in this crisis. But desperate times, they call for desperate measures. You know, moments of personal crisis, they have a way of driving people to faith or to seek God. And God will use those moments of crisis as a catalyst to bring you along in your spiritual journey. It's been said that there are no atheists in foxholes. You know where that saying stems from, this idea that when you're in the heat of battle and there are bullets whizzing by your head, you're making deals with God. God, get me out of this situation, and I'll do anything. I'll serve you. I'll give you my heart. Just help me through this. And so, too, in our lives, when we face difficulties, We find ourselves at the feet of the Lord in prayer. For this dad, it was a dying son. For you, it might be something different. Maybe it was a divorce, or a lost job, or a sick parent, or an unfavorable diagnosis. And maybe, who knows, maybe that's why you're in church tonight. Because you've exhausted all of your other options. And you feel like you're at the end of your rope and life has thrown you a curveball or you've hit rock bottom and it has you seeking the Lord. And can I just say, praise the Lord that he has brought you to the point where you see and acknowledge your need for him. God will use and redeem anything, even a personal crisis. Let's look at this verse. This is in your notes. This is Psalm 50, verse 15. And i love it if we could read this together out loud. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Amen. Can we read that again out loud? Because I felt pretty lonely reading that. And I know you can be louder than that. Let's try it again. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. I I have you read it with me because there's something that happens and something that is released into the atmosphere when you audibly profess and proclaim the word of God, it releases the the power of that promise in your own life. God could have just thought the cosmos into existence, but he spoke them and he gave us a model. And so we speak the word because it builds faith in our lives. And some of you, you need to hear this tonight, because just like the dad in our story, your faith is being shaken. You're shaken to the core and you don't know why. And it could be that God is using this trial in your life to drive you to seek him. And so he seeks out the Lord and he begins to beg him to heal his son. And Jesus answers with a rather curious reply. In verse forty eight, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. I mean, it sounds kind of cold, doesn't it? And certainly this was not the answer that the guy was expecting to get in response to his request. And at first glance, it looks like Jesus is brushing the guy off. However, when you dig, when you probe, when you examine a little more closely, you'll discover that that's not what's happening at all. In fact, you'll notice that Jesus is saying, you people. So he's not just addressing the man in front of him here, but he's addressing the crowds that constantly surrounded him. And he was saying, so many of you guys, you just... You follow me for the show. You love the glitz and the glamour. You love the sideshow. You love the miracles, but you have no real interest in following me. And the Lord wanted to develop and draw out a deeper level of faith in all of those who were following. You see, Jesus always had a lot of fans, but not so many followers. And he wasn't interesting, interested rather, in catering to the crowd. What he wanted to develop within the people who were next to him and within his peripheral circle was a deep faith. That's why he said what he said. See, that's always the issue at hand. The most crucial issue in life is coming into a right relationship with Jesus. Nothing else matters. Nothing else even comes close. And because of this, Sometimes God will allow hardship into our lives to drive us to a point where we cry out for him. He uses those circumstances as a wake up call. And maybe God has gotten your attention lately with the things that he's allowed to come into your life. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis, who I quote often, one of the things he said and I quote was this, "'God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain, he declared pain God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Some God, sometimes God's whispers to us, but he gets the busy signal, so he speaks to us and we ignore him. And so he shouts to us through the megaphone of pain, and he rouses us to and awakens us to our need for him. And that's certainly what Jesus was doing in the life of this royal official. His great pain caused him to cry out to the Lord. And so we see his response to Jesus kind of holding him at arm's length in verse 49. It says, the royal official says, sir, just come down with me before my child dies. Listen, application for our life. Sometimes, oftentimes, you must, as a believer, persist in prayer. The father kept asking. He kept begging. When he didn't immediately get the answer he was looking for, he kept on. And I think one of the many things that this scene does for us is it paints a beautiful picture for us of persistent intercessory prayer. You know, in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things Jesus taught his disciples is that they were to ask and to seek and to knock. For whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks has the door open to them. And the interesting thing about that is each of those words is written in the perfect tense, just like the word that's used to describe our man here and how he begged Jesus to come heal his son, something that describes an ongoing action We're to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And this is of particular importance for those of you who are parents Because here we find a parent asking on behalf of his child. And we think about what parenthood is, and it's so many things. I mean, parenthood is fun. It's an adventure. It's exhilarating and exciting. But over and above all of those descriptive words that we could use to describe parenthood, you know what it is? It's a battle. And how do we battle for our kids? As believers, we do battle on our knees. We were singing that song earlier. When I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. That's how we wage spiritual warfare as kids of the king. And we just have to we can't just throw up our prayers and and leave it at that. We need to keep on praying. He wouldn't stop. And neither should we. Maybe your kids are grown and they're out of the house and you think it's too late. Nuh-uh. Don't you stop praying for them. They need your prayers now more than ever. Maybe your, prayer, your, your child is a prodigal son or a daughter. You need to keep on praying for them. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Have you ever heard about uh, push prayers? <laughs> I remember my dad growing up talking about push prayers. You know what push stands for it's an acrostic p-u-s-h pray until something happens (laughs) and the thing about that is god is faithful amen somebody say amen. amen god is faithful he listens and he hears and he answers but his timing isn't always our timing and his ways certainly aren't typically our ways But we can't give up even if he doesn't come through right away or in the way that we want or the way that we would like or in the timing we'd expect. We need to keep waiting and keep seeking the Lord because he will answer in his time and in his way and according to his will. There's another verse that speaks to this. It's 1 John chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. Let's go ahead and read that one together out loud. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Oh, that's a glorious promise. You need to memorize that one. We know that when we pray, he hears our prayers and he is tuned to the sound of our voice and he will respond to those prayers in the appropriate way at the appropriate time now in verse 50 Jesus says to him go your son lives these were the words the very words that this father had longed to hear but it's interesting because if you'll look closely you'll see that Jesus both did and did not answer the man's request he healed the man's son that's what he wanted But he didn't do it in the way that the man wanted him to. You see, he wanted Jesus to come back with him and to lay his hands on his son because he thought that Jesus' power was limited to wherever he was. But Jesus was using this as a a teaching opportunity, and he wanted to teach the man that distance wasn't a factor in his ability to heal. The, The man clearly believed that Jesus could heal within proximity. How far that distance was? I don't know. Did he have to lay hands on him or however it worked? But he thought he needed to be there. But Jesus wanted to teach him that his word was just as powerful as his touch. That's why when the man said, come, Jesus challenged him and said, no, you go. But he's going to be healed. He was testing the guy's faith. In other words, he was asking him to lean back and to trust And the promise that he had just given him without seeing the results and so the man was confronted with a choice here he could either trust jesus and take him at his word or he could doubt the promise that jesus had just given him okay another verse this one comes to us from romans chapter 10 verse 17 we got to read this one together out loud as well faith comes from hearing the message And the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is glorious. This is so good. Your faith is being edified. It's being encouraged. It's being built up simply by virtue of the fact that you had chose to spend your Saturday evening in church. Praise the Lord for that. Faith grows in an environment where the word of God is being taught, where it's being shared, where it's being read. God's word never returns void. But whenever you just open the word and you read it, you are building your faith. However, when you hear the word, you can't just let it sit there. You have to decide what you're going to do with it. You see, faith is like a muscle. And so hearing the word must be coupled with obedience to the word. And when we activate our faith by living it out, that's how our faith grows. In the gym, your muscles grow through resistance training, right? And so you you put the weight on, and you push against that resistance, and that grows your muscles. Well, it works similarly in the spiritual realm. God brings resistance into your life, and that's the very thing that he uses to grow your faith. So I don't know how many of you are facing a difficulty in some area or arena or sphere of your life right now. I'd imagine it's probably 98 to 99% of us. If you're living a perfect existence, praise God and just bless you. <laughs> but the rest of us, we got problems. And we want God to take away the problem, and God's saying, no, 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 the problem is the very means by which I am producing more faith in you. So as you're resisting this trial, you're fighting against the very thing that I'm sending into your life to build your faith that will make you look more like me. You know, a few weeks ago, we had Derek Ribello come and share at our church. Now, Derek is a blind surfer who had a dream to surf Pipeline. If you don't know what pipeline is, it's one of the heaviest, gnarliest waves in the world. It breaks in uh, Oahu's North Shore. The waves can reach 20 feet. And and there's a reef that sits about three or four feet beneath the water. People die there every year. So this blind surfer from Brazil has a dream to surf pipeline. And he finds a coach crazy enough to team up with him. And and my friend Brian Jennings made a movie about his whole journey. And there are so many parallels between Derek's story and, and the journey of faith that we're called to walk on. And I was, I was watching the movie, and I was just tripping out on this idea that Derek can't see a thing, and so he's paddling into this wave. And his only way to determine what to do is to listen to the voice of his coaches over and above the din of the sound of the crashing waves. And so there's all this noise in our lives, but we have to listen to the sound of our coach. His name is the Holy Spirit. And as we listen to him and we walk by faith, not by sight, it's how we're led into God's plan for our lives. (laughs) Amen. So that's where this guy was at. And I love the second half of verse 50 because it says, the man took Jesus at his word. He took Jesus at his word. He took Jesus at his word and departed based on nothing more. This guy departed purely on the basis of what he had heard Jesus speak. And this is where we really get to see this guy's faith blossom. When he first came to Jesus, he had a certain measure of faith, but it was small and it was limited. It lacked. Understanding, He didn't know or even really care who Jesus was. He just knew that he needed a miracle. But now his faith was beginning to, to take root. It's developing into something more substantial and real. And he takes Jesus at his word and he gets up and he walks away. He puts feet to his faith, in other words. I I like the way D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist from a century ago, he used to say it. He used to like to say, every Bible ought to be bound in shoe leather. Oh, I like that. The idea in that sentence is a Christian ought to be living out the things that they proclaim to believe in. So this guy takes Jesus at his word, and he walks away. Now, jump down to verse 52. It says, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, it happened yesterday in the afternoon. That's when the fever left him. Interesting. This is a surprising twist to our story. I want you to note the word yesterday. And why is that important? Well, because remember earlier I told you that uh, Capernaum, where his son was sick, was only about 20 or maybe even 18 miles away from Cana. He could have easily made the journey back the previous day. But evidently, After he receives this word of promise from the Lord, he was so confident in it that his son was already healed that the guy just took note of what time it was on his sundial and then he decided to stick around and spend the rest of the day in Cana. And it wasn't until after he spent the night, I don't know, maybe the Hilton in in Cana had a beautiful buffet that he couldn't pass up and he has breakfast and he just takes a leisurely stroll. He doesn't get back home until the following evening. Now let's just Compare and contrast the way this guy came to Jesus and the way the guy left Jesus. His his ride out was was full of fear and worry and trepidation. His heart was troubled and his mind was racing. (laughs) But his way back, he was a picture of perfect peace. And what made all the difference? Simply this, he had received a word from the Lord and he acted on it. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Thee. cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is the prescription for peace for a troubled heart. He received a word from the Lord and he acted on it now 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 listen just like the man in our story. God has spoken to each and every person in this room, hasn't he? He speaks to us through the pages of scripture. He's given every one of us thousands of promises, and these promises are like blank checks that we can cash anytime we want. But you won't experience the benefit of those promises until you first know them, and then you have to Memorize them. And then you need to begin to walk in them. So let's just get really practical with this. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're struggling financially. And the promise that God is calling you to to lean back into and to hold on to is the promise in his word, I think it's Philippians 419, that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Not some, not most all. You have a need God is wired to provide for your needs. And there's a a rub there because you have to choose. Am I going to trust? Am I going to lean back and trust God's word? Or am I going to trust what my experience tells me? Then again, maybe you're here and you're struggling to believe that God has truly forgiven you. And God's calling you to lean back, and to trust in the promise of his word, where he declares, as far as the east is from the west, so hath he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, 12. Then again, maybe you're in here tonight and you're struggling to believe that God has a plan for your life. And the promise that Jesus is calling you to to lean back into tonight is the promise where he tells us, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And you have to choose, am I going to trust this promise or am I going to doubt it? Am I going to lean in and lean on my own understanding or am I going to lean into what God has told me? Or maybe you're here and you're struggling with feelings of loneliness And the promise that he's calling you to lean back into this evening is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what it is that you're going through, there is a promise in this book that pertains and applies to your unique situation. And just like the man God is giving you a choice tonight, are you going to trust in his word? Or are you going to say, no, it's got to be my way? You're going to lean on your own understanding. Let's wrap things up in verse 53, where it says, Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Remember, I told you at the beginning of our story that God wants to take us from glory to glory, that he wants to lead us from faith to faith. That's what we see here. You see, when the man first came to Jesus, he demonstrated a certain basic fledgling level of faith, but his crisis drove him to Jesus. Then Jesus drew a deeper level of faith out of him by asking him to trust his word. And all of that led not only to the healing of his son's physical body, but it led to the spiritual salvation of his whole family, which is really the best thing about this whole story. The boy got healed. But he also got saved. So did all of his brothers and sisters, if he had any. So did the mom and so did the dad. And we can assume from this story that so did the servants. Listen, guys, this is how you build a legacy of faith for future generations. His life was changed. His son's life was changed. His servants lives were changed. He changed the spiritual trajectory and the course of future generations because he put his faith in Jesus. And I want to note again that it started with the dad. Men, you have such a high calling on your life. God has wired you to help lead your families and lead your church through moments of crisis. And this is how you become the hero dad that your family needs you to be. And it starts with. Running to the feet of Jesus, real men bow at the feet of Jesus. Real men run to Jesus. Real men know the limits of their own sufficiency and they cry out to him. And real men bring their kids to Jesus and intercede. And you moms, I'm not leaving you out here. All of us were to bring others to the feet of Jesus and then we trust in the word of the Lord. We lean back into his promises And we watch him do incredible things in our lives. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for this word. It's a sweet word. It's a simple word. But it's a powerful word, like like everything in this book. It cuts to the quick. And Lord, where we are struggling in our faith, where we're faithless, Lord, I thank you for the, the verse that says you're still faithful. Even when we're faithless. Why? Because you can't deny yourself. And let's remember, it's not the greatness of our faith that matters. Jesus can do a whole lot through an itty-bitty amount of faith. It's not the greatness of your faith tonight that it is in view, but it is the greatness of your God. And a little bit of faith and a great big God can move mountains. So no matter what you're faced with tonight, it's nothing for our God. He is not limited by proximity or distance. His word is as powerful as his touch. And the same Jesus who spoke the words, or the worlds into existence, is the same Jesus who is speaking his word over your life tonight. And the question is, will you take him at his word? Will you trust him with all your heart? Will you lean back into the promises of scripture? Lord, give us faith, increase our faith, build our faith as your people here tonight. We pray and ask all of these things in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.